Welcome to God Knows Where. I'm Brett Harris. We're starting off a new series today, one that is about something I know I need and I think we might all agree that we're longing for, healing. As I've said elsewhere, there are 26 healing stories in the Gospels, and we're going to work through a lot of those stories as we explore how these stories of Jesus healing folks like you and me can help us bring about the healing we need in our lives today. We're going to start off this series with a look at one of these stories that has probably my favorite question in all of Scripture. So, I hope you enjoy. hope you enjoy this series we're starting off today. Tell somebody about it, and if you like it, if you like what we're doing at God Knows Where, leave a review of the show wherever you listen. If you're looking for something else to listen to once you're finished with God Knows Where these days, check out Good Faith Media's new podcast, Doctrine of Christian Discovery. It explores how a centuries-old Christian doctrine encouraged conquest and colonization of non-Christians, and how its legacies still affect various lands and peoples. You don't want to miss it. Thank you for listening to God Knows Where, for being a part of all that we do here. I hope you enjoy today's episode, Grudge Mats. A reading from John 5. After this, there was a festival of the Jews, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Now in Jerusalem, by the Sheep Gate, there is a pool, called in Hebrew Bethzatha, which has five porticos. In these lay many invalids, blind, lame, and paralyzed. One man was there who had been ill for thirty-eight years. When Jesus saw him lying there and knew that he had been there a long time, he said to him, Do you want to be made well? The sick man answered him, Sir, I have no one to put me into the pool when the water is stirred up, and while I am making my way, someone else steps down ahead of me. Jesus said to him, Stand up, take your mat, and walk. At once the man was made well, and he took up his mat and began to walk. We've talked before on God Knows Where about how many questions Jesus asks in the Gospels. But my favorite question that he ever asks comes here in the fifth chapter of John, when he comes across this man who has been ill for 38 years. And he doesn't instantly heal this man. He doesn't ask this man how he got this way. He meets him and looks at him. And the first thing he says is, do you want to be made well? I love this question even more after hearing the man's response. He rattles off all these reasons why he can't be healed, why he can't ever get to the healing waters in time to have his body restored. He doesn't respond to what might be, to the question Jesus is asking him about his future. He simply recounts to Jesus what's never been the case. It's easy to read this story, to come away from this story, assuming that this is a long-suffering man who has struggled his way throughout the last four decades. It's easy to feel sorry for this man and his situation, to feel the injustice of a man who has been so close and remains still so far from what he hopes for his body and his life. But after hearing his response and then 
hearing Jesus' question again, to me at least, I think we can also come away from the story believing that the man didn't really want to be healed. That Jesus asks him the question about whether or not he wants to be healed because he's confident that the answer is no. And the man's answer seemingly confirms that he doesn't. Instead of wanting to be healed, instead of jumping at the possibility of being healed, the man wants to wallow in his situation and not do anything about it. He's stuck in the past, in what hasn't happened, in what he hasn't been able to do, the ways his body has continued to go without healing, and he can't see that Jesus is asking him right there about his future, about changing his life for the better. This man has been in the same place or come to the same place at the same time for nearly 40 years, and he's gotten the same result every single time he's come. We don't get any indication that this man has ever tried anything different to lead to his healing. He hasn't asked for people to bring him earlier or set him up closer to the pool. He hasn't used any of the skills or capacity he does have to change his future. And unlike other stories of healing that we read in the Gospels, he doesn't seem to want to be healed. It feels like he doesn't want it. He's the man who can't find healing because of all these external factors he names. We can come away from this story seeing him as just a guy who thinks he can't be healed. Now you may hear this take on this story and wonder, how I can have such a cynical opinion about this man who has endured such hardships, ones I've certainly never faced. I can come to this story and read it this way and come away with this opinion or this thought because in too many ways, I am this man. I can look at this man this way because I've heard this faint, do you want to be healed ever since I left the pulpit? And instead of immediately responding, yes, I want to be healed, and moving on to a new beginning or a fresh start with the church, I'm always quick to recount all the reasons why that hasn't happened yet, or why it can't happen, or why I don't think it will ever come to be. I don't like this, but I know that it's true. And truthfully, this isn't at all where I thought this series on healing would start. I've been looking at all the healing stories in the Gospels and I've sorted them all out by what illness or disease Jesus was healing someone from, how all those ailments affected different parts of their bodies and minds, and how they relate, sometimes rather explicitly, to the pain and the trauma and the wounds we experience from the church today. I've been thinking about all the healing we need in our communities and in our country. And I had this whole plan where we were going to walk through from Jesus healing symptoms of diseases to Jesus bringing dead folks back to life. And we still might go through that plan, but a little while ago, I took the saboteur assessment. Basically, it's a list of questions not unlike a Myers-Briggs or Strength Finder survey that helps determine the practices or mindsets that most frequently take you away from your goals, at work, in your personal life, whatever. My wife recommended it to me after taking it herself for work, and the results I got hit me square between the eyes. Of the 10 possible saboteurs we can have, the two 
top ones for me were victim and avoider. Basically, according to this assessment, what I do to sabotage myself is to come up with reasons why I can't do something because of something someone else has done. And I also run away from the problems that I'm facing. I let the past set the tone for my future and I allow it to block my ability to envision a different future altogether. There are these external factors that keep me from getting where I want to go and I don't want to admit that there are things I could do to overcome them. I'd rather avoid them. That's what this assessment told me and like I told you, I am this guy. Now, there's no need to get into how I got here. There's no need to get into all the details of why I walked away from the profession I'd spent my entire life preparing for and also running away from at times too. But I left the pastorate and left the pulpit wounded. So wounded, in fact, that it's been hard to get back up and find a new community of folks to walk with on this journey in real life either from the pew or the pulpit. It's been easier for me to hold on to those wounds I got. And when I hear Jesus ask, do you want to be healed? It's been easy to say, Jesus, let me tell you how I've been hurt. Let me tell you what I've been through. Let me tell you what hasn't happened for me, while also ignoring and avoiding the number of times that I didn't speak up for myself or establish a boundary to heal my wounds or keep myself from being wounded again. It's been easier to lean into the pain. It's been easy to point out all the reasons why I can't go or don't want to go somewhere on Sundays or to get invested in throughout the week. It's been easy to say to folks, you know, I'm still working through some pain. And maybe I am. But I'm also avoiding the invitation to healing of what it might feel like to start anew, to get up, to take my mat, and to walk, to stop lamenting what went wrong and start building or at least contributing to something better, to see faith and church and all of it from a new perspective, to hear Jesus' question and say yes in response. And I don't think I'm alone. I think we can all get to a place sometimes. I think there are scenarios in all of our lives where we convince ourselves that we don't want to be healed or scenarios where we don't think healing is possible. Times when the pain maybe isn't something we enjoy necessarily, but it's become something that we aren't sure how to live without. When we become so accustomed to our situation, that it becomes hard to imagine a different world. It becomes so much a part of how we see ourselves that we can't imagine ever being any other way but wounded. It becomes so much a part of us that when we're asked if we want to be healed, we can't even answer the question directly. And instead of taking Jesus' offer, we hold on to the pain and the wounds. We let them make us who we are. And in doing so, we develop grudges, grudges against the past, grudges against people, grudges against experiences and places and all types of things. And we hold on to these grudges. And as we jokingly like to do in our family, we say we keep those grudges in our pockets and we rub them like a worry stone. 
And slowly over time, we begin to enjoy the feeling of rubbing the grudge more than we do the freedom to do something else, to do something better with our hands. And when we get there, when we get to this point, healing doesn't seem as great as holding on to the past pain. Taking Jesus' offer for healing doesn't seem as great as continuing to tell the story of how we've never yet been healed. But we can't stay there. And I think we know deep down that we don't want to stay there. I know I don't want to stay where I am, holding on to the pain and the wounds I have from the church. I want to let them go. I want to move forward. And I'm sure you do too from whatever has wounded you in your life. And so to do that, to truly begin to heal, I think we've got to do, I think I've got to do, and we've got to do one thing my wife did a few years ago. A few years ago, Elizabeth decided to give up grudges for Lent. She wasn't going to reach into her pocket and rub those wrongs done to her any longer. Whenever she saw or remembered or thought of some of those wrongs from her past, she just let them go by. She didn't reach in and rub the grudge for that fleeting sensation. She forgave those that hurt her, and in doing so, she'll tell you that she began to see them differently. Freed from the grudge, she was opened up to a new way of looking at them and and at herself. She was freed up to be more gracious. She was able to begin healing from those past pains. I think we all want to be made well. I just think we don't always know how or where to start. We don't know how to even answer the question when we're asked if we want to be healed. But I think Elizabeth's Lenten practice from those years ago and the purpose behind Jesus' question can help us. I think they can help us see how much power we're giving our past over our future. In order for healing to come to us, healing from the pain life and others have brought us, we have to begin to shift our orientation from the past to the future. We have to believe that we can be healed, that who we're here to be doesn't stop at who we are today or who we've been before. We can put the past behind us. We need to put the past behind us in order to move forward. And I think if we can do that, if we can reorient ourselves towards the question Jesus is asking and towards the direction he's leading us, then we can pick up our stuff and start moving forward into the next chapter of our lives. God Knows Where is written, produced, and edited by me, Brett Harris, with music by Thomas Steinwinder and Michael Trest, and unwavering support from my wife, Elizabeth. If you like what you hear, I'd encourage you to share God Knows Where with your friends and family and give us a review in Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to this show. It'll mean the world to me and it'll help more people find God Knows Where. Thanks in advance for your help and for being here and for listening. Until next time, take these words from William Sloan Coffin with you. 
May God give you the grace never to sell yourself short. Grace to risk something big for something good. Grace to remember that the world is too dangerous for anything but truth and too small for anything but love. So may God take your minds and think through them, and your eyes and see through them, and your hearts and set them on fire.